very special episode of the Chip Out Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Friday's play at the US Open. I'm going to get straight into it. Today was a much tougher day than Thursday. Green started to firm up a lot more than they were on Thursday. They were, they're still quite soft uh, for the US Open especially, but they were much, much firmer than they were on Thursday. And the scores reflected that. There weren't too many really low scores. And in fact, the, the lowest score of the day came from our leader by two shots for Gary Woodman. He shot 65, which was two shots better than anybody else. But the wind didn't blow so much on the day. And on the whole, the draw over the two days seemed pretty fair. Both players who started morning afternoon and went afternoon morning, they had a pretty equal chance. And like I said before in the preview show, the length of the course naturally has enabled players like Furyk, McDowell, Kucha, who are all you know pretty short hitters to be right in contention and having a great time around Pebble. GMAC, for instance, had four or five seven irons in his round, especially on the back nine. It seemed like he had seven iron on every hole and he was very, very good with them. And that enables everybody to have a chance around Pebble, which is why it's going to be such a great weekend. And the field is so bunched. Before Woodland took the lead by two shots towards the end, about four or five shots separated the top 40 players. I mean, Tiger Woods, who had a horrid finish on his round, ended up a level par, and he's only four shots off sixth place. And, you know, a very fast start on Saturday, which is very possible around this course, you can get back in the top five in his first 90 minutes. And the man who finished up on top after day two was, was Woodland, who I just mentioned, and he shot that 65, which was fantastic. It was a really brilliant round. He managed to avoid... The pompous circumstance of the feature groups who were playing the course the right way round. And, you know, by playing the course the wrong way round, like he did, and finishing on 8 and 9, there was a lot less spectators, there was a lot more um, spotlight on him, and he could go about his business. And basically, he got off to a brilliant start. He was two under through holes 10 to 17, which are, other than 8 and 9, pretty much the toughest holes on the golf course. And he had pretty much an 8-hole stretch of scoring where he could take advantage. And a 65 on a day like today is pretty special because... Like I mentioned before, the 67 was the second best score. And just like Justin Rose, who finished in second place, Woodland is putting absolutely magnificently. He has plus nine strokes gained over the field in putting. And, you know, but unlike Justin Rose, who's putting absolutely out of his skin, but, you know, not necessarily hitting great shots from Tita Green, Woodland is playing really well Tita Green. He's pretty much leading in Tita Green stats. And that's very important on a course like Pebble Beach. Woodland said that he could rely on his irons a lot more off the tee, which he stripes. He absolutely loves hitting his irons. He hits them low with all that lag he has in his swing. And if the course gets firmer over the weekend, the final birdie on the ninth hole, Woodland's 18th, could prove very, very important. You know, he's got that two-shot gap now. He's got a bit more shots to play with. And after finding a divot on the ninth hole, after a brilliant drive, he played a really smart shot to about 50 feet and then hold it. And, you know, he deserved that after playing such a smart shot from such an unlucky break. But yeah, he's in great shape going into the weekend. And one of, Woodland is one of those guys who you wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see stick around and actually, you know, run the course, uh, potentially steal a major. Like, I don't see why he wouldn't this week. He's one of those guys who you don't think he's going to fall away. He's got a lot of pedigree. He's got a lot of game. And unlike some players who you just don't fancy will, will stick around, you know, who just don't have the mental strength necessarily or the staying power. Woodland is one of those guys who I wouldn't be surprised to see him in contention on Sunday. So, But he's in great position after day two and what a round on, on Friday that he just played. But yeah, another really solid round for Justin Rose as well, who finished the day in second place at minus seven, two shots behind Gary Woodland. And he had a relatively pedestrian 27 putts in round two compared to his 22 putts in round one. But he's putting brilliantly. He's on track to have less than 100 putts in the US Open around Pebble Beach if he keeps this up, which is absolutely unbelievable. However, one thing I always think about putting is, of course, these guys are unreal putters, but even in, for the best putters, I mean, unless you're Jason Day or Jordan Spieth on top form, you can have a day where the putts just don't drop. 
And for Rose, if he has one of those days over the next two days where the putts don't drop, that's it. That's his title. Chances is gone. Because his ball striking at the moment, or at least if he continues as it is, is not good enough to win a US Open. So he's got to go find something on the range. You could see him on the range late on Friday working on his game, working with his coach Sean Foley and trying to get that long game dialed in because he knows he's going to need it, especially if the course gets firmer and faster. That will suit players like Woodland better, who is hitting the ball really well. And, you know, it's not as durable to rely on your putts. You need to be relying on your long game at the US Open to give you a better chance to get, you know, more holdable putts for par at least. And, of course, Rose's round on Friday had less running on his putts because he took five more putts, but then he also took five more shots in his round. So you don't want Rose to go as his putting goes because that's going to be his chances gone. But his long game is traditionally the strongest part of his game. So if he can find that over the weekend, you know, he's got great staying power. He always has. And you'd have to expect that he will find that and he'll be around come Sunday afternoon. But he's in great position going into the weekend. Another player in great position going into the weekend is Roe McIlroy. And it was another great battling round from him. He shot minus two in the end. He wasn't necessarily too happy with it, but he managed to shoot minus two and finish at five under par and get in the final few groupings. He had a horrendous double bogey on the 14th hole, and up until the 13th hole, where he made a bogey, he told um, Tim Barter in an interview that he felt like he was playing the perfect round of golf. He felt like he, everything was going perfectly. He was holding all the putts he should. He was hitting all the irons he should. And he was, you know, playing fantastic golf. He was six under par, but then he bogeyed 13 and doubled 14. Made a stupid, it was kind of a stupid double on 14. You have to be left of the pin placement where it was. Instead, he went right and he fell all the way down off the green. Everyone knows he can't go right on 14 because he's just going to fall down that incredibly difficult green. But he did that, duffed his chip in the bunker and ended up making a double bogey. I thought when he did that, I was like, oh my, here we go again, you know. But the way he bounced back was almost un-Macroy-esque. Macroy tends to let those shots get to him. But he bounced back straight away with a great bunker shot on 15 from the fairway, made a birdie, and then on 16 made another birdie, and all of a sudden he had those two shots back and was back at five under par. He said he wasn't as happy with his round, but he'd be very happy knowing that he's only four shots back. He's in uh, third place, I think, fourth place. And, you know, he's in a great spot again after two rounds. But his Friday round, that's sort of a different side to McElroy that we haven't necessarily seen. I think that's probably his improved mental, mental game this year. His fellow countrymen as well played really well, Graham McDowell. And he's looking so good at the moment. He's only three under par, which is quite a few shots back, actually. But he was looking so positive and playing so well. I mean... He actually left quite a few putts out there, which you wouldn't expect with G-Man because he's such a solid putter and he's got such a great stroke. But I'm so happy that he's truly back now. He's freewheeling and he's heading towards contention this Sunday. And the way he's playing is just, um, well, it's spectacular at the moment. He's, he's firing at pins. He's being able to control his irons. He's hitting them high enough. And, you know, if he continues this, even on the firm fast greens, he's not going to lose too much of an advantage. And you'd have to think he's going to stick around. One really interesting player was Francesco Monlari, who was five and a half of the tournament with two holes to play on his round. And he ended up at minus two. He finished double bogey-bogey after losing a ball on the eighth hole. But it doesn't really tell the whole story because Francesco Monlari had one of the best scrambling rounds he will ever, ever, ever see. He hit five greens in regulation. Five. And he lost two balls. And he shot one over par with a double and a bogey on his last two holes. He had two chip-ins on four and seven, and he basically got up and down from the most ridiculous places time and again, time and again, until the um, eighth hole. He only had one bogey on his round, and he'd only hit five greens in regulation. I mean, it was dead last in the field. Only, I think, no one hit less than five greens in regulation. 
And, you know, it just shows how incredible a short game is now. Just like we saw at Augusta, where it was barely him out time and again. And it's such a shame that his long game, which he's, you know, built his career on, he's renowned as one of the best ball strikers in recent era, basically, has fallen apart a little bit. I think with everyone was making a lot about how he's gained a lot of distance and he's not lost any accuracy. But in my opinion, I think he has lost accuracy. He's really trying to slam it out there now. And his balance and his tempo looks a bit off to me. I think he's trying to hit the ball a little bit too hard. And maybe that's the reason he's, his driving is all over the place. But, you know, Molinari is supposed to be the most accurate player in pretty much in the world. So hopefully he can get that back. And if he does, to supplement his short game, you know, that's... What more can you really ask for for Molinari? Brooks Kepka is lying at minus four, only five shots off the lead in sixth place, and he is looking extremely ominous. He hasn't really done anything at all. No one's talking about him. But ho-hum, what a surprise. There he is, right around the lead, coming into the weekend. He didn't hold very many putts on Friday, although he played a lot better than he did on Thursday. It's from Tita Green. He was finding fairways, finding greens. But he hold a few less putts and, you know, he's burning the edges on a lot of, a lot of uh, putts. But once again, he just knows how to grind it out, grind it out, make a couple of birdies when he can. And he just keeps advancing up the leaderboard. He's never really moving backwards more than one shot in the space of a few holes. And, you know, that's the key with Kepke. He just He's so ho-hum. It's incredible. He's not done anything at all, you know, for any other player, even for Tiger, which is he's had a similar sort of two rounds as Tiger. And he's four shots better than Tiger. It's just an unbelievable gift that he has. I can't really explain it. I don't think anyone can. He doesn't do this in regular tournaments. Like last week at the Canadian Open, he just sort of went about his business and was like, right, I just want to play this tournament and get to the major. And as soon as he gets to the US Open, everything starts going on. His mind goes into ultra mode, you know, hyper focus. And even though he, he he's not really done anything at all, he's right there. And you wouldn't be surprised if he's two shots off the lead and then wins it on Sunday. Like, if he wins it on Sunday, no one will be surprised. He is, in my opinion, he's got to be the favourite right now. Obviously, I think Macro will probably be the favourite. Maybe Rosie up there as well. But Kepka's got to be the favourite. He's, he's so close. He's, there's no shots between them, basically. There's only three shots between him and Rose. But Kepka is right there, and he will be right there for the rest of the week. There's no doubt about that. Ricky, 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 Ricky started the day at minus five and oh dear, oh dear, he played himself right out of it. Everyone was getting hyped about his first round thinking, could this be the time? He looks calm, he looks composed. And what, there's no way to explain it. On a day where it wasn't, you know, it was tough, but it wasn't that tough. He shot a 77 and he just played himself right out of the tournament. He barely made the cut. And you know, never out of it really he could come back tomorrow and shoot at 64 and be right back in it but that's you just don't think that's going to happen it reminds me a little bit of Tommy Fleetwood a bit he's just not able to stay around when he isn't playing well he's not able to grind out a 72 when he's playing badly and stay in contention he can't do it over four rounds he's such an incredible player but he's such a poor grinder if that makes sense I think that's why he's got so few wins in his career he's 30 years old now and for his talent he should be I've accomplished much more in the game. He's obviously accomplished a lot, but he should have a major by now. And you'd think he should have a major in his career, but he can't stay around for four rounds. He just got no staying power. And he can't grind out pars because you'd think with his putting being so good and his short game being so fluid and, and free that he would be able to get up and down very often, even if he's playing ballie. But he just makes errors and compounds errors. And honestly, 
he's got nothing to show for his brilliant first round and he's going to have nothing to show for this week because you just he's not going to win this week I think I'll put some money on that I, I could be putting my neck on the line but I don't think so he's not going to win this week and you know another tournament another great opportunity missed after such a fantastic first round another player who could not buy a putt on the back nine was Dustin Johnson it was absolutely incredible to see he played incredible tee to green golf but could not hold anything he held a putt on 17 but he missed so many birdie putts inside of 14, 13 feet. And it once again shows the value of putting. DJ had 59 putts in his first two rounds. Justin Rose had 49 putts. Rose is on track for less than 100 putts in the US Open. Dustin Johnson is on track for 120. 10 more putts than Rose already after the first two rounds. And he's only five shots off him. Just goes to show the value of putting. And it shows how much better DJ's ball striking was than Rose. If they had putted the same... Um, Johnson would be five shots better than Rose, but you know, if some butts and maybes, he's got to hold the putts, and so often he doesn't do that. It's, it's it's very much the case with DJ. Sometimes he'll play just beautifully, and he just won't get the putts falling in. But he's so good at staying in the moment and not getting frustrated. So you wouldn't be surprised to see him go tomorrow. Phil Mickelson was also coming back into it after a poor round on Thursday, but he let it go at the end. He shot sixty nine in the end. And Dustin Johnson ended the day at um, minus two, uh, seven shots off the lead. And Phil ended the day at minus one for the tournament. He was doing so well to get back in contention, but let some of his good go work go at the end. Always scrappy with Phil, always up and down. He holds some long putts for par. He holds some, uh, missed some short ones, you know. You never know what you're going to get with Phil, but he did very well to get back under par. And on, he's going to have a fairly early tee start on Saturday. He's got to take the most of that and try and get back into this thing. But it was it was a brilliant day of golf. Really, really entertaining to watch. The um, the commentators were saying that it was really entertaining golf. But I do have to wonder a couple of things about the Fox broadcast. Why do they have mics by the holes? And I've, they've done this for a few years now since Chambers Bay, basically, in twenty fifteen when they when they first got coverage of the U.S. Open. And the sound of the ball going in is nice, but it's rarely used in the audio of the broadcast. And the byproduct is very negative. You catch people like Tiger in the acts of you know, saying really nasty words and stuff that I won't repeat on this podcast. It's supposed to be PG. But you get around the hole on missed putts, if they miss a short one, they're going to be swearing. It's interesting to see players like DJ actually audibly exasperated when they miss a putt, which you would never have guessed otherwise because they look so calm and composed. But Fox are not looking for that. They don't want innovative and meaningless investigative golf journalism, like scoops that nerds like me are going to absolutely love about DJ, you know, being disappointed when he missed the putt or something. But that's not what Fox are looking for. They just want cool uh, golf sounds when the ball goes in the hole to appeal to the more, you know, generic audience. You have to give them the credit for some of the pictures. And in particular, the sky cameras on the 11th and the 6th are absolutely gorgeous. I really hope these are adopted more in professional golf. And the zoomed Pro Tracer on 6 is brilliant. I love it. They have to put that in. Please put that in, PJ Tour. If you're listening by some miracle, please put that in to your coverage, uh, CBS and things like that, because it's brilliant. The zoomed Pro Tracer is awesome. They experimented uh, Pro Tracer at the PGA, which was absolutely terrible. They had like Kepka's, um the, the little swing in the very corner of the screen, and then the entire screen was covered on where the ball was flying. It was an absolutely terrible little thing. Hopefully they never do that again. But the Zoom Pro Tracer on 6, seeing that ball fly at a, a higher um, vantage point was just gorgeous. But yeah, that's all we've got time for today. A quick little recap on 
on Friday's round. I hope you enjoyed listening. Remember to follow us on our social media, Instagram at chipoutgolf, facebook.com forward slash chipoutgolf. You can go check out our website at www.chipoutgolf. I've got um, some round reviews up there as well in article form. You can watch some videos as well of Justin Rose's final round. And yeah, um, remember to send in your emails at chipoutgolf at gmail.com. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody, and hopefully see you tomorrow.